chapter 3 this morning. Romans chapter 3 as we continue our series in the book of Romans. I hope that you had a great Thanksgiving uh, over the past few days getting to spend some time with family and friends. Jen and I got to go down to Alabama and visit with her family for a few days and uh, came back last night, but glad to be back here for worship uh, this morning. Uh, to be honest with you, Thanksgiving ha- has never been a holiday that I've given an, as much attention to as it deserves. Uh, I, to be honest, really about the time of November the 1st, my eyes are really only on one thing, and that's Christmas. I'm, I'm one of those guys who, if my wife would let me, I would decorate the day after Halloween, and we would have Christmas trees in every room, which we pretty much do anyway, and we, we, our house becomes an explosion of Christmas. Uh, when, when I went to, uh, to Quebec City about a month and a half ago, uh, we toured some time in Quebec City in the old town that was there, and I only sent my wife a one picture while I was gone, and the text picture I sent her was of a Christmas store that I found, that we went in, and I looked at all the Christmas trees and found some ornaments that I liked, because that's just something that I enjoy about it. It brings out the kid in me to spend that time thinking about Christmas and decorations and everything else that goes along with that. But I'll be honest and confess that I should probably give more time and thought and attention to Thanksgiving than what I actually do. And it's actually appropriate that we come together today on this day, the Sunday after Thanksgiving, to touch on, to think about the text that we're going to focus on this morning. Because this morning, as we continue in our series in Romans, we're coming to the passage. We're coming to the truth that should drive us to Thanksgiving more than anything else in this world. And that truth is that Christ redeems sinners. There is nothing else in this world that should drive us to thanksgiving more than that truth, that reality, that Christ redeems those who are undeserving. So take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 3. As we've been studying the past, uh, past several months in the book of Romans, we've, we've looked at the first three chapters, and what we have seen over and over is how Paul points to the utter sinfulness of all people. We've seen how he shows how we are in a hopeless state that nothing, nothing we can do can possibly rescue us from the bondage to sin which all of us are in. But then two weeks ago, Pastor Bill brought us to Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 21, focusing in on two words, but now. But now, after everything that's been described about the utter sinfulness of humanity, but now we read that a righteousness has been revealed from heaven. A righteousness that makes it possible for us to be clothed with the righteousness of Christ. And so last uh, two weeks ago, Pastor Bill described the doctrine of what we call justification. It's a legal word that has two components to it. A legal word that includes the idea of guilt being removed. You see, because of our sinfulness, we stand guilty before a holy God. Part of Christ's Payment on the cross is that he takes that guilt on himself and calls us not guilty because of what he did. But there's a second component to justification in that not only did God cancel out the debt that's against us for our sin, but he also adds the righteousness of Christ to us. 
So he doesn't just look at us as if we have never sinned, but he looks at us as if we have the full rightness, the full obedience that Christ accomplished in his life on this earth. We've been clothed with the righteousness of Christ if we are in Christ. And so today, today what I want us to do is drill down further in this passage. To drill down further in what Paul writes about justification. That we can understand better what he writes about here because he points us to the reality of redemption. And how redemption plays into the justification that we have. So take your Bibles Follow along as we look at chapter 3 again, beginning at verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We've talked about this idea of justification. That's what Pastor Bill dealt with for for a full sermon a couple weeks ago. What Paul writes here is that justification comes through redemption. In other words, redemption is the ground that makes possible justification. Redemption is what Christ did that makes it possible for us to be justified. And so this morning, we want to drill down further into this concept of redemption. A word that we have heard before, a concept that we have talked about, that we sing about, and we sing about our Redeemer who lives, to drill down further in this, to understand what the text says, and for us to see, for us to see that this truth, that this truth of redemption is more precious, more precious than anything that we could possibly ever imagine. So as we consider redemption this morning, there are two, there are two meanings that come together to help us understand what is taking place in this passage. In, in, in Greek literature, there are basically two different ideas that take place when the word redemption is used. The first is as the idea of a ransom idea of a ransom, so that if uh, in secular Greek literature describes somebody who would be ransomed is often in the context of somebody who was serving as a slave. Perhaps they'd been captured in battle or they had, had a debt that they owed and so they were brought into slavery. A price could be paid to bring that person out of the slavery that they were in. And so that price was a redemption price to bring somebody out of slavery. And so there's a time, Mark 10, verse 45, Jesus says that he came to be a ransom for those who he would die for. So there's a core concept that's here. The idea is that there is a cost. There is a price that must be paid in order for redemption to occur. Redemption is not free for the one who pays the price, for a price has to be paid for the person who is going to be redeemed to be redeemed out of that slavery. So the first idea in redemption is that there is a price. There's a ransom that is paid. The second way this is used is in setting somebody free, being delivered from something. In the Old Testament, the same word group is used often to describe the Israelites and their captivity in Egypt. 
you remember that for hundreds of years, the people of Israel were captive in, in Egypt, slaves to Pharaoh, having to do whatever Pharaoh wanted them to do. They were in bondage there, not able to go free, not able to do what they want. In essence, Pharaoh had control of their lives, and they were slaves to him. And so when God raised up Moses and rescued them out of Egypt by all the miraculous works that he did, God did a work of redemption in setting them free, in bringing them out of that captivity that they were in. So there are two different ideas that come together into what Paul is describing here as the redemption that Christ has worked in our lives. It's that a price has been paid and that those who have been redeemed have been set free. These two ideas come together to what we are talking about today as we drill down into this idea of redemption. And so as we think about this, there are three different things that we're going to do. Three different things that we're going to do this morning. I first want us to see what we are redeemed from. What we were redeemed from as we think about the redemption that Christ has worked. And second, how we are redeemed. And third, what we are redeemed to, because we're not simply redeemed from something, but we're redeemed to something. So let's think for a moment about what we were set free from. Look again at your Bibles, Romans chapter 3, verse 23, a verse that probably most of us have memorized. The kids in children's church, this is one of the first verses that they learned. Romans three twenty-three: for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But when we read here in Romans about being uh, falling short of the glory of God, when Scripture describes our sins, it's not just in the context of thinking about a little sin here or a little sin there that we commit. But rather, when we look at the New Testament, what we see is that we were in bondage to sin. Just as clearly as the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt, we were enslaved to the sin that enshackled us and kept us slaves to that sin. Ephesians chapter 2, a passage that we've read and talked about a lot of times, gives us a picture of this. If you want to turn there, you can to, to think about what Paul writes there. Ephesians chapter 2 says, You are dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air that is now working among the sons of disobedience. Among them, we all too, we all too, indulge the desires of the flesh and, the, and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. So I want you to think about the things that it describes there. It's talking about every person, none excluded everybody. We were dead in our trespasses and sin, in which we formerly walked. We lived in that pattern of life, and it describes the pattern of life of the world and the way the world lives, following after the prince of the power of the air. Now, who's the prince of the power of the air? It's talking about Satan there. Following after the ways of Satan, indulging the desires of the flesh, all the sinful passions that are there in the body, living those out and walking in those. And we were children of wrath, just like everybody else. Paul is equal opportunity when he describes just how horribly sinful everyone is. And so when we're talking about what you were set free from in redemption, we're talking about being set free from this bondage to sin, that enslavement to sin that every single person in the world experienced. Not only were you set free from that bondage to sin, but you were set free from your, the hopelessness of your own efforts. 
You see, when, when Paul's writing in chapter 2, he describes our inability, Romans chapter 2, our inability to bring ourselves, make ourselves right with God. He, he addresses the Jews and says to them that those who are under the law will be judged by the law. There's nothing that they can do by following the law. They can try to follow it to the fullest of the letter, to the T, and still not be able to follow perfection that God requires. So the Jews can't do it by following the law. Paul, Paul looks at the Gentiles and says, you Gentiles, you also. God shows no partiality. You could not do this either. By the strongest efforts that you could make, by whatever act you could try to do, you were slow, so enslaved to sin, so in bondage, that there's no hope that you could have of bringing yourself out of that bondage. And so that's why he goes to the depths he does in Romans 3 to show that. Look at Romans 3.10 for just a moment. Paul describes us in the darkest of terms, our bondage to sin and our hopelessness. He says there is none righteous, no, not one. There's none who understands, none who seeks God. This is verse 11. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. There's none of us who's righteous, none of us who even seeks after God, none of us who has anything worthy in us at all. He even goes on in verse 13 to say their throat is an open grave. What comes out of the depths of who we are is nothing but death because we are sinfully dead in us. I mean, these are bare, stark, hard terms to describe the enslavement to sin that each and every person in the world experiences. Everybody outside of Christ is this, enslaved to sin. Now, some of you, some of you may look back on your life prior to Christ and not look at your life and see this kind of destructive, sinful activity. You know, when, when I look back on my childhood, I was saved when I was about 10 years old. I, I like to look back and think that I was a pretty good kid. I, I, you know, you have different kinds of kids. I was one of those kids who was a rule follower. I was one who wanted to please people and do the, follow the rules that were given to me. And I, I kind of had the expectation I was going to do that. But I don't think it was because there was anything in me that was good at all. Scripture's really clear about that. I think that my rule following was just because I was afraid of my parents. My mom was, is five foot four, 110 pounds, petite little lady. But my mom, when I disobeyed, became a spanking machine. I remember being about, about 13 years old, and I, it was my birthday. So I had all my friends come over to my house. And we had this good idea that we were going to go to my grandfather's house. My grandfather lived a few miles down the road, and so we were going to go visit my grandfather. But we, we had, I don't know why we thought this was a good idea, but we thought we'll just leave my friends at my house, and they can stay there by themselves, while my mom and I go visit my grandpa. Well, when we come back from visiting my grandpa, we were gone about 20 minutes or so, my friends were nowhere to be seen. We had a plum tree beside our house, and the plums had gotten ripe and started to rot. My friends thought it was a great idea to have a plum fight. And so when we pulled up into the driveway, we saw plums everywhere. 
plums on the garage door, plums on the cars, plums on the house, plums everywhere, and my friends nowhere to be seen. Because as we started pulling in, they knew what was going to happen. They thought, she's going to kill us. They thought that they were going to die. Because my mom, five foot four, 110 pounds, all of her, was not afraid to deal with any discipline problem that would be out there. My mom, I'm 37 years old, has told me that I am not too big. That if she can only reach my knees, she will deal with my knees. And so this, this is what I grew up with. And so I had this feeling that I had to obey. I was fearful of what might happen if I didn't. But the honest truth is that if I look back at my life and the supposed rule following I was due, or if you look back at your life and you see a path of just sinful, destructive decisions, we're no different. We're no different because Scripture tells us that all of us are what 3.10 through 18 says. We're all dead. We're all like this, non, none seeking after God, none righteous. Whether we were a rule follower, whether we were one who was living a pagan lifestyle, we were people who were opposed to enmity with God, and there was nothing that we could do to save ourselves. We were enslaved to sin hopelessly. But Christ's redemption redeems us out of that slavery, out of that hopelessness, and he sets us free from the penalty of sin of what we deserve. You see, when I sinned against my mom, when I, when I did something that my dad disagreed with, my mom and dad had the option of, of looking the other way and not doing anything about it. They rarely did that, but they had the option of not disciplining me. But God in his holiness and in his justice cannot turn away from sin. He cannot look at the sin in your life, at the sin in my life, and turn his head and say, it doesn't matter, I'll just ignore it. The holy God of the universe is a just God who must deal with sin, and he will not turn his head and leave it undealt with. And so when we think about redemption, redemption has to do with this penalty being taken away from us. The judgment that should be on us is placed on Christ and is taken away from us, so the penalty of sin has been removed from us. So no longer are we in bondage enslaved to sin. No longer are we under the penalty of sin that we do, but we have been set free by what Christ has done. This is good news for us. And so this morning, we remember, we remember what we have been delivered from. That sinful old man or old woman being dead in sin, the penalty of sin, that bondage to sin, if you are in Christ, you have been set free. So this is what we've been redeemed from. I want us to think for a moment now on how we were redeemed, how we were delivered by Christ. Remember when I talked about the meaning of the word redemption, it's a word that has the idea of a cost. A cost has to be paid. There's a price that must be paid for that deliverance, for that freedom for somebody to be redeemed. And the cost of redemption, the cost of redemption is greater than anyone could pay. You see, the sin that we're talking about isn't merely a sin against another person. 
My sin isn't just a sin against Jen. It's not a sin against David. It's not a sin against just anybody in this room. But my sin is a sin against an infinitely holy God. It's me turning from what God has commanded, looking at him and saying, I will do something different than what you have said. I'll go my own way, not your way. So that kind of sin is something that is impossible for us to deal with. So there's no act that we can do, no work that we can do, no thing that we can say, nothing that we can do in and of our own selves to take away the penalty, the guilt that comes with sinning against a holy, holy, holy God. See, if I were to, if I were to lay down my life, if I, if I were to die before the Lord and say, if I, God, I am dying for you right now. No matter the earnestness, no matter the sincerity of my action, it couldn't cleanse a single sin that I do. If one of you were to look at another person in here and say, I, I, will, I will gladly take your punishment. I, I will I'll die for you. I will shed my blood for you. There's not a single person in this room whose blood could cover one single sin for another person in this room. It's only the shed blood of the lamb who can deal with sin. It's only the perfect God himself who can cover over the sin of the imperfect. It's, the only, per, it's only the perfect God himself who can satisfy the judgment and the justice that a holy, perfect God requires for sins to be covered over. And so it was impossible for us to do, but Christ did what we could not do. He took our place. This is the doctrine that we call penal substitution. Penal because Christ took the penalty. He took the penalty that should be placed on us. The guilt that we have, he took upon himself, bearing the full wrath of God, the full judgment of God, the full justice that is due for sin. And it's substitution, penal substitution, because he took our place. Became a substitute for us on the cross. The wrath that I deserve, what I deserve for all I've done, Christ bore himself on the cross, taking the punishment, dying for me, taking his pun- the, my guilt upon himself. And so when we think about redemption, when we look at Christ on the cross, Christ paid it all for our sins. It's not that Christ bore part of it. It's not that Christ looked at you and said, I take some of the sin that this person has, has sinned. It's not that he says, I take some of the guilt. But when he looks at me, when he died on that cross, he says, I pay for it all. Not just the sin that I committed before I was in Christ. Not just the sin that I'm struggling with now. Not just the sin that I will send until I die. But every single sin that I have ever committed, every will commit, God placed on Christ and he bore it all, paid the full price of the penalty of that sin. And so we sing the reality of it is well, this statement of what Christ has done. It says, my sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul, I bear it no more. So if you are in Christ, 
this reality describes you. Full redemption, every sin paid for, the full penalty dealt with in Christ so that we bear it no more. That's what Christ accomplished on the cross. So what were you redeemed from? You were redeemed from the penalty and the bondage of sin. How were you redeemed? You were redeemed by Christ being the sacrifice, being the suffering servant who died on that cross in your place. But like I said before, we're not just redeemed from something, we're redeemed to something. We're redeemed to live a certain way. And so I want to describe for you this morning two things that we're redeemed to. Two things that we're redeemed to, to focus in on how do we respond this morning. First of all, you've been redeemed to Christ. You've been bought by Christ. So what I mean here is that there's been a price that's paid for you. One of the meanings we said for, the, for this idea of redemption is that a price has been paid. It was costly. And so Jesus' death on the cross buys those who are his so they now belong to him. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 describes this. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 19, it says, You are not your own. You were bought with a price. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. You see, what we are described here is that you were slaves to sin. You were in bondage. You were under the ownership, essentially, of sin. But you have been purchased by a new master. You don't belong to that anymore. You were slaves to that. Your old man, the old woman, is gone, is dead, so that you are now belonging to the one who bought you. And this is why Paul so often describes us as slaves to Christ. That we were dead in our transgressions, in bondage to sin, bought by the one who redeemed us, and so now we're owned by him. And so, brothers and sisters, if you are a believer in here, it's time for us to stop thinking of our lives as our lives. We do not belong to ourselves. We belong to the one who purchased us, who bought us by his blood, and we're owned by him. So let's stop the idea of thinking about my life, or my career, or my hopes, or my aspirations, or my family, or my kids, or my grandkids, or my retirement, or my money. It's not ours. It belongs to the one who paid for it, who bought us. So it's not my life, it's his life. We have been redeemed to Christ. And so I ask you this morning, what are you still holding on to? What are you still clinging to and holding on to in your life that you're saying, it's mine? This this is mine, this is what I want, this is who I'm going to be. Because it's not you, it's Christ. He paid it, belongs to him. And so will you look at your life? And no longer see it as yours. But hold up your life. Hold it up to him. And say, Christ, it's yours. I'm bought by you. I'm held by you. I'm yours. I don't hold back anymore. So this is the first idea that we're talking about. Response here of, of the reality we've been redeemed to something. Second thing in this is that you have been redeemed to holiness. When I, when I read in the New Testament and the word redemption comes up, it's almost always connected with sin and forgiveness and holiness. Because we've been redeemed out of bondage to what? We've been redeemed out of bondage to sin. 
And so we've been set free from that bondage so that then we can live in purity and holiness to the one who bought us. 1 Corinthians 6.19 is the passage I read just a moment ago. Let me finish what it says. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. And he gives something to do in light of that. So glorify God in your body. See, the context that Paul's writing there in, in the book of 1 Corinthians is a church that was plagued by sin. So much sexual immorality and other things were going on there in the church. And so Paul says here to them, you're not your own, you're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. Don't live according to those sinful passions anymore because you were bought with a price. Titus 2.11, Paul says a similar kind of idea. Listen to this, Titus 2.11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from, listen to this, to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So both those ideas are coming along there, that we're his possession, we belong to him, and we've been set free, redeemed, so that he will redeem us from all lawlessness and two, to purify us so we'll be a people for himself. Church here, I want you to hear this. Church, there is great encouragement in this. There is great encouragement in this hearing that we have been redeemed out of that bondage to sin and set free to Christ. It's great encouragement because if you're in Christ in here, you're not under that anymore. You're not enslaved to sin. You've been set free from the bondage and you've been set free from the penalty of sin. And here's why I say it's an encouragement. Here's why it's an encouragement to you. Because sin doesn't have to have mastery over your life anymore. Sin does not have to have ownership and mastery over your life anymore. Because probably some of you in here feel pretty defeated by sin right now. There are sins that keep popping up in your life. And you've been trying and you've been battling against them, but they seem to keep coming up. That same old struggle with your tongue, it seems to keep coming up. That anger that you can't quite seem to shake keeps popping up. That pornography that you can't let go keeps popping up. But there is great encouragement for you if you struggle with sin like we all do. You have been set free. It's not a master over you. You do not have to be enslaved to sin any longer. What Christ did on the cross conquers the power of sin and the penalty of sin so that we do not have to be defeated by sin. Christ in you, the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, the power is in you by Christ, by the Spirit's work to put to death the sin that you struggle with. So don't let it have mastery over you. Don't look at it and say, I can't beat this. The Spirit of God dwells in you that you may have mastery over the sin you struggle with. Let us take encouragement, church. Let us not feel defeated because our God has conquered sin. So this is an encouragement to us, but just as it's an encouragement, it's a great exhortation. 
It's an exhortation to us because if Christ has paid the penalty, if we have been redeemed from that bondage of sin to belonging to Christ, there's an exhortation because we cannot tolerate sin in our lives. We cannot accept the presence of sin in our lives and say it's not a big deal. It's a little sin. It's not something that really matters. No, we've been set free from the bondage. We've been set free from the penalty. Let us cast out all the sin that's in us and put to death the sin that remains. This is what Peter tells us to do in 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, he writes this. He says, as obedient children, church as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, so you also be holy. As is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if, if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, your time in this world here, knowing that you were ransomed from You were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. But hear this, church. You were ransomed from those feudal ways with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Formerly, before Christ, you lived according to the sinful passions. I look back at my life and see there was a rule follower there at nine or eight, whatever. The reality is I was a rotten, dead in my sin sinner. I was following my own passions and desires. Peter says, don't do that. That was you then. Don't live that way anymore. You were bought by the one who is holy, so live like the one who is holy. Live a holy life, redeemed by him. And so, brothers and sisters, I ask the question, as we've been talking about this, as we've been talking about being redeemed from something to being redeemed to something, I ask you, is there some sin that you are tolerating in your life? Is there something that you sugarcoat over and say, it's not a big deal? Or is there something in your life that you've hidden from everybody else, nobody else knows about it, but you know and you know how you're tolerating it? We have been redeemed, not with perishable things like silver and gold or anything else, but we have been redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. So brothers and sisters, let us examine ourselves and put to death whatever sin remains because we've been called to holiness like the Holy One who died for us. You know, there's a song that we sing sometimes. We're going to sing it here in just a little while. The name of it is, I Will Glory in My Redeemer. The, the words to this describe what we have been talking about this morning. It says, I will glory in my Redeemer, whose priceless blood has ransomed me. Mine was the sin that drove the bitter nails and hung him on that judgment tree. It was mine, my sin, hung him on that judgment tree. So I will glory in my Redeemer, who, hear this, who crushed the power of sin and death, put it to death. My only Savior before the Holy Judge, the Lamb who is my righteousness. I will glory in my Redeemer. My life he bought, my love he owns. I have no longings for another. I'm satisfied in him alone. I will glory in my Redeemer. This is the truth of what Christ has done as the Redeemer. It's something that we hear almost every Sunday. We sing and we hear about the work that Christ has done in redemption. But church, let us not let that grow old. 
May it be something that becomes more precious to us every day. So that when, when we breathe our last breaths on this earth, we breathe more lovingly, thankfully, hopefully in the precious redemption that we have. So this morning, as we have drilled down into this concept of redemption, I ask you to think about just a few things. Will will you hold up your life and say it's yours? Will you hold up your life and say, God, I hold nothing back. I don't want any of it as mine. I lay it before you. It's yours. I'm going to stop holding things back for myself. Whatever it is that you want, whatever I have, it's yours because you've bought me. I belong to you. And second, will you examine your life to see if there's anything that you're clinging to, sin in your life? Some secret sin, some sin that you've allowed to fester that you've not dealt with. And will you look at that precious lamb who died for you and say, I'm putting it to death. I'm putting it to death. But my guess is, my guess is that there are some of you in here who do not know the redemption that I'm talking about. You've heard this, you've maybe read this, but you've not experienced the reality of the redemption which your sins are forgiven. And so for you this morning, if that's you, would you look to the one who died on the cross that your sins might be forgiven? And would you call out to him saying, forgive me, my life is not my own, I want you. Would you call out to him this morning, pleading for the one who will forgive you to forgive you of all that you've ever done and to make you his own? Church, this is the reality. This is the reality of redemption, of what our Redeemer has done. So let's glory. Let's glory in the Redeemer who has paid the price. Let's pray together. Father, we, we come before you so thankful for what Christ has done. 